Hello, and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast. I'm Bree James, and on today's episode, we welcome back the lovely Dr. Vanessa Laponte to talk about how we can thrive as a family during the preteen and the teenage years. Now, a lot of people talk about the troublesome teens and how when kids go through puberty and start becoming more independent that they, you know, they start grunting, they shout out their parents, uh, they smell a lot more uh, and they can develop, you know, what we call an attitude, right? Uh, because it's a tough time dealing with teenagers, but Every human at every stage of their development needs understanding. So we're going to talk about how we can understand these changes and continue to thrive as a family, but most of all, stay connected to our tweens and teens during this adolescent stage. And it's going to be a really interesting topic. I'm looking forward to getting Dr. Vanessa Laponte. She's a mother, registered psychologist, parenting educator, and best-selling author who's been supporting families and children for almost 20 years, all the way from Canada. Let's get her on Zoom. It's time to get to class. So the tween and teen years are often described as difficult to navigate, um, especially for parents. But I guess it's also you know, tricky for the teenagers uh, and tweenagers, I guess, to navigate this period as well. Um, so how does seeing this period of development transition through our kids' eyes help navigate, navigate this time together? Well, I think even uh, generally speaking as human beings, when we can put ourselves inside the experience of another, we are so much more uh, beautifully positioned to be empathic in the way that we are responding. And when you can make sense of developmentally, the incredibly topsy-turvy period that defines adolescence, their brains are literally turning themselves inside out and they are taking those final steps from the dependence of childhood into what can be the overwhelming independence of adulthood so it is a, a mind-blowing legitimately period of development and it's a lot for them to handle when we can understand that experience then we can show up for them in ways that support rather than hinder yeah, because it is a really, really tricky time for them. I know, you know, I've got a, a teenage son now and, um, you know, you see that defiance coming through, that bit of secrecy, the moodiness, um, you know, sometimes disrespectful behaviour, um, there's sometimes a bit of aggression and I guess, you know, they also, that's when they're starting to distance from you as well. They don't really want to talk to you about it as much um, as they did when they were younger. Um, and sometimes they don't understand why they're behaving that way either. It's quite an interesting time. Um, why do they act this way? You know, it's a really interesting thing that is um, grounded in a very normal developmental need. And if we were to actually look back historically, how generation upon generation, of particularly in tribal communities, have navigated this period, what you would see is during this time of development, our kids are meant to step away from us. And there would have been all sorts of rituals and routines and practices in place in order to support that component of individuation. 
becoming one's own person. So the boys get taken off with the male members of the tribe to learn the ropes and, you know, and, and the women, the same thing uh, with the female members of the tribe, if you will. And so that's how it's meant to go. Now, fast forward to modern day. We don't have those kinds of rituals. We don't have those kinds of practices and traditions in place. So our teens are left to kind of navigate that on their own. And you, you will naturally feel them stepping away, the energy to be moving away from you, to be shutting the bedroom door, to be you know off with their friends, to be keeping secrets from you, to want you not in, in their business. Um, and they're trying to become their own person. And they're just having to figure out ways to do that, given that those rituals and practices don't naturally exist anymore. So do you think we should be bringing those sorts of rituals into play? Um, I know there has to be some, I know there's organisations in Australia that do do those sorts of rituals, but, you know, I guess when we don't all have access to them. Do you think that's something that we should be trying to bring back? I think that we can conceptualise what the, the need those rituals um, filled for our kids and we can conceptualize what that might look like in our society today. So for example, I have boys who are 14 and 17 years old now, and I've been very purposeful about lining them up with what I would refer to as mentors out in our community. So other adults who can be leaders at this time that allows them to be stepping away from myself and away from their dad and into the world and kind of finding their roots and finding their feet. And so when we can understand that they actually need that, then we can go about directing it and allowing for it to happen so that they have that other touch point and have outlets to step into rather than kind of blowing about in the wind, wondering how they're supposed to find their own space and figure out who they are. Yeah, great advice. Because how is it important for us to remember, I guess, when we're experiencing them having, you know, those moody times and that behavior that we, we you know, don't really enjoy let's face it um how is it you know so important that we look for the the why and look for the root cause of the behavior i think that when we can just put our faith into an understanding first of all as a blanket statement all behavior is purposeful there is nothing about any behavior ever in the history of forever that has been wasted all of it is purposeful. And so when we can get that piece of it, and then on top of that, layer in this understanding of adolescence as just a really overwhelming period of development, um, we're able to show up in those kinds of ways. And then remember that they are real human beings and they're on a bumpy path right now. They're a little bit wobbly, as Maggie Dent likes to say. And so um, our job is to continue to show up for them. Even though we're being pushed away, we show up for work as parents of adolescents every day, whether we're put to work or not. I, on purpose, hang out in sort of the main kitchen area of our home in the evenings because I know that that's where they're going to filter through to, um, arguably to find snacks and things in the fridge. <laughs> and then I'm available. So I'm always kind of on the sidelines, ready to step in when the need presents, and also willing to take a little bit of the back seat. Um, two, two little tips that I can give to parents. One is quit taking it personally. If you have um, found that you're getting really triggered by your teen's behavior, take a little Q-tip 
and tuck it under your bra strap or stick it into your pocket and grab onto it. Quit taking it personally. It's a tangible reminder that this isn't about you. This is about a brain that's turning itself inside out. The second thing that I have done as a mother is I have, um, where I get ready in the morning, I have um, pasted a couple of little notes that my boys gave me uh, back in the days when they were three, four or five years old and thought I was really awesome. In <laughs> fact, one of them says, hi mom, you're awesome. Have a great day, I love you. And I just keep those notes around to remind myself that that's still in them. Underneath this crusty facade of adolescence, they are tender-hearted human beings um, and they will circle back around. Oh, you're making me tear up just remembering all of those beautiful notes. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're the best when they just think you're the best thing that's ever existed. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so no one wants to walk on eggshells. And I think, you know, that's just a time that sort of starts to happen as they get a bit older. Um, so how can we address when we can see the behaviours that they're sort of exhibiting aren't sort of what we would hope they'd be doing, you know, and how can we help them through and navigate those times without escalating, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a few things to keep in mind. One is that every human being everywhere wants to be seen and heard. And so even if they're reactive, even if they're engaged in behaviors that we maybe don't approve of or that don't line up with the way our family does things, that we really take a moment to see and hear them from their viewpoint so that they feel understood. And when we can do that, it's likely to kind of de-escalate things just a little bit. And in continuing to come alongside them, there are times as a parent, even of adolescence, because keep in mind, their brains are still growing. They may look like adults, but they are not. They have immature brains by design still in this period. So there are times when we must step in and figure out what are the boundaries that need to be put into place. And to do that with equal measure of firmness and kindness so that we don't go over the top with being you know, really intense about what the rules are, but that we make those rules very clear. And we also make it clear to them that we understand this is not the way that they were hoping this would go. So firm and kind at the same time. You know, my children uh, are cut from the same cloth and my eldest son, he's kind of navigated a lot of these things quite independently. He's, I've given him a pretty long rope because he's been able to make really solid decisions about all of that. His brother is going to be very different. And so another piece of this is to be very individualized in the way that you understand who your children are, how, how they are temperamentally, how it is that they show up in the world so that you can meet their needs on an individual basis for how they'll have to have this all set up so they can be successful with it. It's so true because it's funny how you can have two children raised under the same house with, you know, same genetic, genetic makeup, but they're so, so different. So different. Mind-blowing. Mind and no, I was reading a book by uh, Thomas Boyce recently, The Orchid and the Dandelion. He's a pediatrician come epidemiologist. And he talked about how no child is actually born into the same family uh, in terms of siblings because the family dynamic changes with the arrival of the sibling and the people have changed along the way. And so it's always morphing and changing and then you mix that up with temperament and other kinds of variables and 
it's it's a new thing. Every single child that comes along, you're figuring it all out anew. So true. It's the biggest learning journey I think ever is uh, the parenting journey. Word to um, your mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now it is pretty difficult, I guess, for parents to adjust to this increased distance that the teens and tweens place between us um, emotionally in particular uh, and, and often physically as well. I know when my son comes, gives me a hug right now, it's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, breathe that in because um, even though it's a bit smelly, um, you, <laughs> you take every opportunity um, when they want to give you that affection. Um, do you have any, I guess, tips or advice on how to maintain closeness and that connection and communication during these tricky times? I like the kitchen idea where the food is. It's very true. I think hovering around the food, but I'm sure you've got a few other ones. Yeah. So the biggest thing is to watch your energy around all of this. And I'm always having parents and reminding myself of this too, that we must pay attention to the intention. So if the intention in staying close to our kids is because we need them and we miss them and they're feeling a need for us, then they're going to smell that a mile away and they're going to be like, no way. But if our intention is to uh, allow for that uh, soft place to land in terms of the relationship serving that purpose for them, if our intention is to make sure that they feel seen and heard and cared for and all of those kinds of things. So the intention is in service of the child that we are maintaining the closeness, then they'll be able to rest into that a lot more easily. Um, what we need to do as parents during this time is to show up in ways that allow our kids to feel accepted. I, um, I don't really love heavy metal music, but I listen to it every day in the car when I drive my son to the gym or when I drive him to school and he tells me, you know, this is this new song he's into and here's the solo and why. And I let it all soak in through my ears and hang on to myself. <laughs> That's what's important to him. And he wants to share that with me. So whether I'm, you know, really keen on heavy metal or not, I am really keen on what's in my phone heart and keen to keep that conversation flowing so that we get to have those shared experiences. So look for where you can insert yourself into some of their interests, even if you don't share the interests, in order to kind of know what they've got going on on the inside. And I would say that rituals within the family are very important during this period of time. And the rituals in particular around togetherness and connection. You don't have to sit down at the family uh, dinner table every single day to be an okay family, but that you have, you know, some days of the week where that's sacred time that you collect as a, a family and that you have that time together as a family and that everybody just knows that that's the way it goes, that kids get to lean into that. So now you've built in as part of the ritual, part of the routine that we have this connection time. Do you do a dog walk? every evening uh, with one or the other of your children? How are you creating opportunity and space in your life to have those rituals, those patterns, those routines, just be a part of how you go? I still, my boys are 14 and 17. I still go in to say goodnight every single day as part of the ritual, the collection dance um, that we do in our home. It's so true because they're those special moments, I guess, that they even look forward to without telling you. Um, 
and I think, yeah, that's beautiful. That I'm, I'm, you're giving me hope that my, seven, you know, once my boy hits that 17 year, years of age, you'll still want me to go and kiss him goodnight. So that's good to know. That's right. <laughs> um, Sometimes they wipe that kiss off their cheek, but they want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say, I say they're rubbing it in, you know. <laughs> Um, are there any other activities or, you know, advice that you can give uh, to maintain those family relationships and that closeness? I like the family walk I do with the dog, um, the sitting down at the dinner table. Any other great advice that you've got for building that closeness? In addition to those kinds of daily things, I would also be planning around special time with your kids. So can you get out to dinner with one child? Can you have something on the books where you have this sort of planned event together? Do you have um, planned family vacation time, whether you go away somewhere tropical um, or you're just having a staycation, but the idea is that you are together as a family, that you're carving out um, that time because we're in this, um, this time of history where life is busy and the priority isn't that connectedness in the ways that we actually need, the ways that actually feed our souls as human beings, the priority is to be out and to be going and to be um, on the move. And so for us to just take a breath, slow it down, implement um, all of those kinds of activities into our calendars so that we are maintaining the opportunity to be able to show up in those relationships and have them be meaningful, emotionally intimate kinds of relationships. Mm, love it. Any parting words uh, for thriving as a family during those preteen and teenage years? This too shall pass. The biggest thing is to know that it's, it's developmental in nature. It actually has to be this way for your child to grow up and become all that they are intended to be. If we stunt them in this period of development because we're really just overwhelmed ourselves by what adolescence looks like, we actually can detract from their developmental journey and the, the success that they will have within themselves as a person uh, when they become adults. So just lean into it, enjoy the ride. Teens are, you know, I think I've said this as a mom all the way along, but I just, every stage is my favorite. Every stage is the best. And I, I love having teens in my home. I love working with teens uh, in my practice. They're fascinating beings and they can teach us so much about life and who we are and where it is that we've come from. I love it. Beautiful advice. And I definitely think they, they definitely teach us a lot about patience in particular. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Dr. Vanessa, for being on the show again today. It's so wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is a special time of year, but also a stressful one financially, um, especially after the impacts of COVID. Uh, you know, Christmas can be a time where children can expect a lot of presents. But how can we as families refocus and remember the gift of time spent together with each other as the best gifts that we can give in total? Yeah. You know, we have become so focused on the, the material side of this time of year rather than really being focused on what truly is at the heart of this holiday. 
And I think one of the things that we need to do as parents is figure out why have we fallen into that? Why do we get worried that if we don't go along with that um, consumeristic uh, approach to the holiday season, that we're somehow uh, gonna disappoint our children or we're somehow gonna do it wrong. And so we need to understand within ourselves, why have we given ourselves over to that? And then second to that, set the expectations up for our children right out of the gate. So they know that this is how we do this in our family and this is what it is that they can expect. Because I guess, you know, children and even parents, we're bombarded constantly by marketing messages that we need all this brand new stuff. And I think, you know, that whole addiction to new is just, it's out of this world, it's out of control. Um, so I, I just, I know in our family, we do try and definitely shift to uh, buying an experience for Christmas um, instead of an actual gift so that we can go and enjoy that. Um, have you got any other advice for parents, I guess, around this time of year that, you know, feeling that that pressure to buy more for their children when, when they don't even need it? You look at all the stuff and you go, they've got that, they've got that, they've got that, they don't really need anything. And you still try and find something yeah. that you can buy. It's insanity. Yeah. It is insanity. And so once we've set the expectation up, then we can really lean into this philosophy of gifting an experience um, or gifting um, the kinds of things that lead to experiences. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. My uh, youngest son has long had an interest in guitar and has kind of dabbled around in it. And uh, I knew that an experience for him would actually be getting to play guitar and the way that he really wanted to play guitar. And so we bought him a guitar for Christmas and it's changed his life. He oh. has, I mean, just um, so developed that love and passion for music on the weekends. Um, instead of, you know, being on his computer gaming, he's playing his guitar 14, 15 hours a day. He just loves it so wow. much. So you can think about um, who it is that your children are and what it is, if you are going to gift material kinds of items, are those material things, things that in and of themselves lead to an experience. And so you can be mindful about that art supplies, uh, books that they can read, the kinds of things that lead to those human experiences that are, you know, at the center of us discovering that joie de vivre and living life in a way that is, um, well-rounded, um, but also the experiences that we have as families. And so um, uh, I have uh, in the past gifted each of my boys uh, weekend trip with me, of course, <laughs> where we get to go away and, uh, and enjoy a, a place or a locale that I know is really sort of up their alley and we get to lean all of that. Um, my eldest son next year will graduate high school. Um, and so he, he has a, a birthday and Christmas right at the same time. Um, and uh, he already knows that for birthday and Christmas that year, he's getting a trip to uh, Japan. We've been planning it for years and years and years. And so we can do those kinds of things together as families and, um, and gift our children those kinds of opportunities to experience life rather than, you know, just be buried in a mountain of things that within six months become meaningless anyways. It's so true because I think, you know, when you look back on your own childhood, it's not all the things that you remember. You know, you might remember one or two toys that you absolutely really wanted and you absolutely loved and played with and cherished. 
but it's all those times that you spent together as a family and those experiences that you have that you remember more, more fondly. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I'd be hard pressed to recall specific gifts that I would have received as a child. Um, but the one, one of the things I remember a lot of the beautiful rituals and traditions that my parents put into place around the holidays. And one of the things that to this day is dearest to my heart is the way my mother would wrap our gifts. It wasn't what was inside of them, but she would put them in boxes and then she would decorate them. So they turned into kind of these animals with like, you know, funny trunks and ears and horns and uh, and crazy hair and whatever. And we would come out Christmas morning and there would be, she called them, um, she had a funny name for them, woozles. The woozles would be under the tree uh, and they were just decorated boxes. And we got so excited about that. It was part of the experience um, and it didn't cost a dime. Yeah, and that's the funny thing, isn't it? Because we've all heard, you know, that best gift is a present parent. So how true is that statement? Oh, that statement is so true. And particularly today, because we are so um, buried in the busyness of our lives. We are so overwhelmed by our connectedness to technology and always being on in the midst of those connections. Um, and as we connect to technology, we disconnect from humanity, which means that we can be physically in the same space as a family, but very disconnected from one another because everybody's down on their screens rather than looking into the whites of each other's eyes. And so just inviting some space into our lives, just inviting unscheduled time allowing as a family for us to experience boredom where we just kind of sit around and see what happens yeah um, and and we do the connectedness with all of that i can hear a nice train coming through the background of your uh, your office there it sounds beautiful yeah, i'm in a community where the cn railway passes by very close and so um opportune timing <laughs> I remember the beautiful trains in Canada. So uh, how has technology affected how present that we are? Because I know, you know, it is so easy to become addicted to your phone and to become addicted to all sorts of technology these days. Um, that, you know, that connectedness and that being purposely um, present is such a difficult thing for parents these days, even children. And the reason for that is that we are a social species. And so we will be drawn to and driven by anything that allows us to organize ourselves socially. And if you think about how easy it is just to, you know, pop open your social media feed and think about the surface level hits of connection that you get from that a like here, a heart there, a comment here, a, a reaction there. You're getting all these kind of surface level hits. And I liken those hits to like eating chocolate brownies, you know, where you're just like snacking on social junk food all day long. And then we sit down at the dinner table as a family, but we've been snacking on junk food all day long. And you know, if you've gorged yourselves on a bag of brownies right before dinner, you're not going to be interested in eating really beautifully steamed broccoli. <laughs> yeah. 
because you're full up on all this other kind of surface level stuff. And so social media has done the same thing and being on our screens, the social reality of gaming for our kids these days where they're, they, I mean, they, they do it as big packs of kids where they're all in their individual bedrooms, but gaming on this game together. And so there's a real sticky social component to all of that. But again, it's surface level. It's, it's the junk food of social interaction and it, it steals away our appetite to go more deeply into the kinds of intimate interactions that we need to be having relationally so that we can actually be delivering on our needs and receiving um, in terms of being a social species. And so getting very mindful about our use of technology, when we are on screens, when we are not, the places and spaces in our homes and in our lives that we allow ourselves to be on screens or not. Uh, we have to be mindful about those things in order to be present parents. It's so true because it's so easy just to, you know, lay in your bed and start looking at your phone or, you know, um, be watching a movie together as a family, but still looking at your phone or, you know, at your child's sport game and that, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at your phone again and um, it's so easy to not be 100% present. Um, it's so addictive. It's such a scary thing. So I love how you say that, you know, we have to be so mindful of those things and, and have those moments where we are 100% present and lock that phone away basically uh, in the cupboard. Yeah, absolutely. Because I guess it's, um, you know, I'm noticing it with my kids as well, having to explain to them, you know, that they're going to have to learn self-control um, <laughs> because, you know, I'm finding unless we set up the technology where it cuts them off, they have no uh, awareness around cutting themselves off themselves. You know, do you think it's an important skill that we do teach our children to have that um, self-awareness and that self-control around their own personal technology use as well? Absolutely, that they know how to be consumers of all of that within reason and in ways that serve them as human beings rather than detract from their experience as human beings. And when our children are very young, of course, it's upon us to be just really stepping in and modeling that and navigating that for them. And when they become adolescents, um, by virtue of how their brains are really wired up for reward and for risk, they're going to have a really challenging time figuring it out. And yet, it's usually during that period of adolescence when our kids, you know, get their first phone or, or begin to have kind of more free access. And so we do need to continue to step in even during that time period to set realistic limits around that to make sure that we're watching it um, so that it doesn't become something that overwhelms them because they simply won't have the capacity yet to be able to hang on to that self-control. But when we provide that from the outside and continue to step in and, and um, be leaders for them in that way, they will grow into that capacity. Yeah, because I know even with school pickup now, my children, the school they go to, they're not allowed phones during school time. As soon as that school bell rings, every single child is out the front looking down at their phone. They're not talking to each other and they're not connecting with each other. Um, it's really um, interesting. Yeah, and we are not meant to go that way as human beings. We are meant to look into each other's eyes and have real um, interactions with one another. And so it's, it's a very interesting time to be a human and to be a parent who's raising up humans for sure. So do you have any, um, I guess, ideas on fun ways to share time together this Christmas and even gift ideas that involve 
shared experiences over, you know, doing stuff together and having those experiences over, over stuff. Yeah, so there's lots of ways that families can approach this. Um, you can set up a calendar where you uh, actually participate in the gift of giving some kind of uh, uh, experience to your community. So you're taking a, a bag of cookies over to the local fire hall, for example, one day, or you're doing cleanup uh, up the road along your block one day, or you're finding ways to just kind of step up and step in around being a member of community and that you're doing that as a family, as your countdown to Christmas, perhaps you use that in place of the chocolates that you might get for your usual countdown to Christmas. Uh, so you can think about building that into your holiday traditions. Do you have a way of managing food around the holidays and getting everybody involved in that? Uh, we have found that when we cook together as a family, eat together as a family, and even clean up after the meal together as a family, um, that there's a lot of really rich discussion and interaction that begins to happen in the um, informal kind of space that that creates for everyone. And now the kids all have their go-to thing that they can make on Christmas day. And they feel kind of special about knowing that, you know, they're the rock star that makes the stuffing or they're the rock star that makes the uh, baked yams or whatever it is. So everybody can have a role in that and that can become part of your family tradition. And then as far as those gifts, really land on the idea that the end experience of the gift is not a thing, but an actual experience. So even in the case of my son, where he was gifted a material item, a guitar, the end goal of that gift was an experience. So you can, you can figure out who are your children, what makes them tick, what, what are you watching for in the months leading up to the holidays um, that uh, has you understanding the kinds of interests they have and then really build on those interests so that you can have this, um, this joined experience of them uh, seeing that you saw them and heard them and got them and that you acted on that um, piece. Another thing that I've done with my boys is what if we do homemade Christmas? It's hysterical that people have to and you can make crazy rules around what goes into the gifts or not in terms of you know how they get created and what they're supposed to mean and all of those kinds of things and so i would just set the expectations up for your children in advance sky's the limit in terms of creativity and really don't be shy about creating new rituals and traditions for your family your kids will talk about that for the rest of their lives it will not be what it was that you gave them it will be how it was that they felt during those times together. Such a beautiful note to end on. So true. Uh, and as you said, the best gift is a present parent. Um, so I guess uh, that's what we want, that connection over Christmas. So thank you so much for, as always, <laughs> your, your uh, incredible advice for all the parents listening. I hope you have a fabulous Christmas. Awesome. Thank you. You too. If you're loving the PacMag Parenting Podcast, then you'll love our other channels. Follow PacMag on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. It's a wrap. What did we learn on today's show? 
We learn a lot as per usual from Dr. Vanessa. Now, number one was our kids really need us during the teen years. And although it may not feel like it, it's really important to remember that our teens need us during these crucial moments of development. So when they learn to fly with only their peers as their guides, they won't have the security of knowing that they can return to their nest. So it's really important that they always know that we're there for them. Number two is marching to their own beat. The teen years are when our kids start to explore exactly who they are. So this may mean that your teen wants to do their own thing and not what you want them to do. And we must dig into why these decisions bother us uh, because growing up as a teen means that we also have to do a lot of growing ourselves, which can be a bit of a challenge. Uh, number three was to find ways to schedule time together. Now, you don't need to have big splashy plans, but uh, as Dr. Vanessa said, choose something as simple as a one-on-one -on -one outing, a dinner or a walk together. That can be, you know, perfect connection time. Number four was to stay focused on family and routine. So as humans, we love routine, we crave it. And so it's really important that we keep traditions going in our family units uh, when we hold these routines and traditions um, is really essential as it solidifies the significance of the family as the center of everything. Uh, and number five is don't retire too soon, okay? Uh, we are our children's foundation and for them to feel safe enough to take a leap, they need to know that we will be there to catch them should they fall, which, you know, they're going to have some falls sometimes. So just, you know, don't retire too early. Well, that's the end of the show. I hope you love this episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. A huge thank you to Vanessa, Dr. Vanessa Laponte. She's amazing. I love our chats. But until next time, happy parenting. Good luck with those teens and tweens. You've got this, parents. You've got this. Um, happy parenting. And don't forget to tell everyone you heard it on PacMag. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at pacmag.com.au. This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.